1: a woohooer! a hand-clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. The dream is made real! Ricky Hatt rocks the world! 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia, He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
2: Welcome back, Fight Fans, to another episode of the podcast. And you've come to us on a special episode. This episode is all about revenge versus repeat. And we've decided to bring this out on the fight week of Anthony Joshua's attempt to regain his heavyweight titles after the shock defeat earlier in 2019 to unlikely contender Andy Ruiz Jr. So we're going to be going through some of the great fights from all different decades and some of the most notable mentions about some of the great fights that we've seen and some of the biggest upsets against some of the revenges and some that have been repeated of course. So before we get into it of course as always go and check us out on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on any good available podcasting app. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, TuneIn. You can even find us on Spotify as well. If you're on any of them, subscribe to it. Please rate and review because it really helps us and it gives us that feedback that we're looking for all the time to help make this podcast even better. So... Let's get into this episode then. Joined on the line as always by Johnston Brown to break down Revenge versus Repeat. So Johnston, Revenge versus Repeat a different look on the fight week of joshua versus ruiz really really excited to go through this episode with you and and look at some of these fights that have happened over the last 50 60 years you know there's been so many of them that people completely forget about and i think this is why doing this episode really brings a lot of these to the forefront of people's minds and and during fight week gives them the opportunity to go and actually watch some of these fights back and and obviously some of the statistical stuff that we've got on the episode as well is going to be a really great episode to, to bring to the listeners for this week yeah. ahead of Anthony Joshua's attempt to regain his titles versus Andy Ruiz
0: yeah it's, it's, I like the idea of uh, doing something like this because it's almost uh, it's, it's a bit like our legendary nights in a way sort of bringing it up to date with what's going to be happening in, in sort of not this weekend but the following weekend and, and whether it will be uh, revenge or will it be repeat and um, it's, 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 it's interesting because obviously I've, today I've been digging through the archives and sort of uh, doing a bit of number crunching and working out statistics and, and sort of how, how it's panned out through the years and it's quite interesting reading so obviously we've selected our fights that we're going to look at mainly but um, yeah it's, it's just a, it's an intriguing way to do it and uh, it's really exciting actually I really enjoyed sort of doing a little bit of research and, uh, and I hope that the listeners find it useful.
2: Yeah, so we've picked, What we've done is we've picked a, a fight from pretty much every decade, from the fifties up to up to the sort of present times. So. You know, forgive us for not trying to pick the most obvious ones because there is is that many of them. But the the will most of them will probably all get mentioned in this episode. But we've kind of sat down and said, you know, these are really really obvious re- revenge versus repeat matches. Let's let's look at some other ones that maybe people have not even thought about or even realised that existed. So we're going to head back to the 1950s for the first one, and we're going to look at Rocky Marciano versus Jersey Joe Walcott. So this was. Uh, a rev- it comes under the category of revenge versus repeat, just giving a bit of context to this particular fight then Marciano, 29 years of age at the time facing the world heavyweight champion in Jersey Joe Walcott who was 38 at the time this happened initially on the September 23rd 1952
0: yep 1952 and this was Rocky Marciano's first chance to to win a world title uh, um, Walcott, Jersey Joe Walcott had uh, he had four excellent fights with Ezra Charles, uh, one of my favorite light heavyweights. So they had they had four great fights. And um, Walcott was the champion. He had uh, lost the first two, come back and, and won the next two. So, you know, even even within Ezra Charles and Jersey Joe Walcott, there was a revenge and a repeat um, guidelines there too. So uh, obviously Rocky Marciano being the challenger, he, he actually walked into this fight as the favorite. And he was actually the first time that a challenger, at this time, I'd been the favourite against the champion. The last being uh, Joe Lewis against um, babe Broderick. So it was it was ticked to be the it was the betting favourite, um, and it was an excellent fight, a really really great watch. And it is on YouTube, and and I have got it on DVD. I'm fortunate enough to have it on DVD, and it was a fight that I really enjoyed looking
2: back on. So this particular fight went down in the sense that. We said Jersey Joe Walcott was the world heavyweight champion at the time. It was a very, very good fight. But in the first round, Marciano actually got dropped in the first round of this fight, which was very surprising because obviously he was the betting favourite, as you said. He got dropped in the first round and actually Jersey Joe Walcott, the defending champion, actually built a pretty steady lead up throughout the, the, the 12 rounds. But we got into the 13th and Jersey Joe Walcott actually tried to use his trademark feint to set up his right hand. But Marciano's legendary Susie Q landed first, a powerful right hook, causing Walcott to slump to his knees and his arm was draped over the rope in an iconic image that you can see on the internet, of course. And he lay motionless long after he'd been counted out as well. And Marciano, he became the new world heavyweight champion.
1: Marciano is shown with the left jab aimed at the head. Marciano digs the left hand to the pit of the stomach of Walcott. Walcott backing away. Now here's Marciano moving in on him again. Walcott feigning the left hand, going into a shuffle. Marciano pulling his way in close. Walcott ages his legs. keep taking him back out of trouble whenever he gets into it. Marciano pulling his way in close. Walcott is back to the rope. Takes it right to the jaw. Walcott is
0: What a beauty, the Susie Q, a eh? Absolutely devastating. As you say, I mean, Marciano Dan on the points, down for the first time in his career in the first round and he was um, he was looking for the big punch and uh, it came, as you say, it was a little fake from Jersey Joe and, and, and Rocky launched that Susie Q bang on the chin and, and knocked him out and, and i tell you what, that is probably one of the most brutal knockouts you will see in heavyweight boxing history and, and one that will always be remembered and, and Marciano, uh, Produced the goods, you know, it was in round 13, two more rounds to go, down on the scorecards. But pretty much a couple of rounds, he, he could have won the last two and maybe pulled it back to a draw. But it got fight of the year, it was named fight of the year. And it also got, uh, it was round of the year as well, which was the, uh, the famous, the 13th round with the, with the famous Susie Q. Um, it also, is, it's, it's a fight that was named the 16th greatest
2: title fight of all time as well by the Ring Magazine. 96. So, they had a rematch a year later and Marciano the defending champion against the aged 39 year old Jersey Joe Walcott but this time the actual rematch didn't go the same way as the first one in the sense that it didn't last nowhere near as long as the original <laughs> fight which was 30 rounds because Rocky Marciano knocked Jersey Joe Walcott out in the first round in a repeat of the original World Heavyweight Championship about a year earlier.
1: Mark, tell me. What punch did you hear, uh, did you feel that you uh, knocked your Walcott down with? I thought it was the right uppercut that, uh, really knocked him out, Al. Well, that's what it looked to me like. I thought the left hook was setting him up pretty good for that punch, and you finished it with that right-hand uppercut. Is that right? I think the left hook hurt him, and he dropped right into, right into my right hand. Next, Walcott has asked about his charge of a fast count.
2: I was fairly disgusted and disappointed last night the referee's
0: reaction and when i was knocked down he didn't count beyond seven and when he counted to seven i immediately arose i looked over my corner and i was instructed to get up and when i got up he pushed me back and he ran over and raised marciano's hand yeah uh, it was it was an easy easy night for for rocky it was again you know most sports uh, writers were picking marciano to win i think 34 out of 36 had picked marciano to, to pick up the win and and uh, Walcott threw his jab, Marciano counted with that left hook and a right uppercut which basically sent Walcott off balance. He sort of sat down for a little while and he didn't look like he was actually too, too out. You know, he, he looked like he could be getting back up and he just sort of sat there and then the referee counted him out. And he did actually say that he believed it was a fast count. Uh, I, I don't think he quite fancied it to be honest with you. I think that the impact of that first fight and that knockout clearly... Uh, affected Walcott and, you know, at the ripe age of 38 years old, I think uh, he decided to to, to call it a day, not only on the night, but on his career too.
2: Yeah, he certainly did. So that was the 50s. Now, the next one does sort of come into the 50s category, but it actually bleeds into the 1960s, along with another particular uh, infamous fight that we're going to talk about throughout the course of the podcast. But this particular one, was the Floyd Patterson versus Ingemar Johansson. Now, these guys actually fought three times back-to-back as well. And this is probably <laughs> the only the only one out of all the fights that we've got for you in the episode where they've actually fought three times in a row back-to-back. Obviously, Johnston's got some great stats to come at the end, and maybe he will provide one that i've not even thought about myself but this one when i was looking at it i was like wow you know i forgot these guys had fought three times and it was back to back as well so floyd patterson became the number one contender uh, in in the first of what was a series of fights now the first fight happened on June 26, 1959. And it was a shocker because Johansson had actually come in there and Floyd Patterson, again, like Rocky Marciano before, was the, the favourite for this particular fight. He actually went in there, potentially going in there to, to, to beat him and actually ended up getting stopped in the fight, which was a shocker. It's all over. Ingemar
1: Johansson is the winner in two minutes and three seconds of the third round. Patterson, knocked out for the first time in his career, has been on the canvas seven times. One of the most devastating barrages in heavyweight history has sent the title out of the United States for the first time in 25 years. Ingemar Johansson becomes the first Scandinavian-born fighter ever to hold this most important of all boxing titles.
0: It really was, and and I mean, there was a, the, in, the inside story of it was that obviously uh, Sunny Liston was was the guy that was coming through the ranks and Cus If people will remember Cus obviously brought through a young Mike Tyson. Um, he was Floyd Patterson's trainer, and and Cuss wasn't interested in fighting Sonny, uh, quite simply because Sunny was all wrong for Floyd. Um, he did uh, he came out in public and sort of said the reason why he doesn't want to fight Sonny is because of his mob connections. It wasn't the case. He just he knew that eventually Patterson probably he's got to struggle against Sonny. and so they took Ingemar Johansson, the Swede, and and to be funny, to be fair, he it was a guy that was, it wasn't a layup because he actually got fired a year the year before, but um, he was a guy that they felt that, that Patterson should should quite easily and comfortably win the fight, and and boy did they get it all wrong. Um, it was a an, an absolutely devastating thing. It was, it was Patterson's fifth defense in the heavyweight title. Um, and basically everybody uh, everyone felt that Patterson you know was was highly favored and he was going to come away with a win uh Patterson ended up getting knocked down 7 times in the first in the third round sorry and um there was uh, the famous right hand from uh, Ingemar Johansson some people call it the hammer of four, but I prefer it's bingo and my god did it land and it absolutely crucified Floyd Patterson in that first knockdown we actually got up and he sort of walked to his corner, which I believe i will I'll, I'll later find out, sort of doing my research, is that Floyd Patterson actually said that he thought he had knocked down Johansson, and went to walk <laughs> back to his corner, and not realizing obviously that he'd been knocked down. And then, in sort of Johansson came in again with a left and another right, sort of literally on the blind side. He wasn't even looking; he was completely defenceless, knocked down for a second time, and then the punishment just continued. He just, I mean, seven times. Eventually, the referee did call it a day, but. Patterson was in all sorts of trouble and really, he, he, it should have been sort of stopped after about the third knockdown. But a fantastic performance from Johansson. He'd become the first ever Swede to win a heavyweight title.
2: He certainly did, and obviously that was a massive win for him because obviously, you know, Floyd Patterson, the champion at the time, making defences against fringe contenders leading up to this particular fight only goes in there and ends up getting stopped by Ingemar <laughs> Johansson to so lead on to, to, to the second fight. And again, would it be revenge or would it be repeat? Well, in this instance, in the second fight, which took place on June the 20th, 1960, in an attempt to regain the Undisputed World Heavyweight Championship, Patterson knocked out Ingemar Johansson in the fifth round of the rematch to get the titles back, leading into a revenge. So we've got one for repeat and one for revenge so far. (laughs) But in this particular fight, Johansson was hit so hard that he seemingly looked like he was out before he landed flat on his back. His eyes were glazed, blood trickling from his mouth, uh, and his left foot was actually quivering. So he was counted out and he lay unconscious for five minutes before he was actually helped onto a stool. I think the uh, the border control would have something to say about that in this day and age. Oh,
0: absolutely. i uh, I tell you what, I mean, we speak about seven times in the first fight, in this one, and obviously Suzuki Q's, Rocky Marciano's finish on Walcott, but this is an absolute stunning finish, and this for me is probably the best punch and the hardest punch has ever thrown in his whole entire career. And he absolutely lapped uh, Johansson, and as you say, he was down, and you can actually see his foot sort of making a, a quivering, a shivering. It, it looks really bad, and he's out apparently for about five minutes. And uh, yeah, he, he was he was concussed in a bad, bad way, um, and, and Patterson regained his title.
2: So. You go into a third fight and Patterson goes in and defends his title yet again in an immediate rematch. So this is the third of the series and the final fight between these two of the series. And he would go on to defend his title yet again, this time stopping Ingemar Johansson in March the 13th, 1961 in the rubber match. And he knocked him out in the sixth round. And it was funny because... You know, he was actually decked in this particular fight. So you go back to, to to the first fight, and Patterson was dropped earlier on in the fight. Patterson was actually decked in this one as well. Uh, he was <laughs> he was decked, He decked him. He got decked in the first round. Johansson had actually landed uh, a right hand over the left jab of Floyd Patterson, which was a, a fantastic left jab. If you've not seen it, go and study that. He had an absolutely amazing left jab. But after he got up from the second knockdown, he actually abandoned his jab and then decided that he was going to go slug away and that's what he did, he connected with the left hook, he knocked down Johansson, Patterson came on, with a strong body attack, it wore down Johansson, and in the sixth round, Johansson caught Patterson, with a solid right, but the power in Ingemar's punches, at this point, are completely gone, and Patterson won the fight, in the sixth round, by knockout, to seemingly, end the trilogy, he won the rubber match, he made it two to one, and that was a repeat, in that third and final fight, between the two of them.
0: Yeah, and I must say that, you know, this, this, fight in particular, the first four rounds of this fight is just brilliant. Uh, I really can't tell the viewers enough that, you know, four blistering rounds we're talking about here between these guys and clearly one each at the time. They they both were really intent on making sure that they come away with a victory. And as you say, both knocked down in the first in the first round as well, which is something you don't see very I think it might have even been the first time that had ever happened before and um patterson obviously came back and but that that fifth round it it mellowed a bit and obviously in the sixth round patterson did get rid of him but you know one thing i will say is patterson johansson the three fights they had they do really sort of slip under the radar and and i really uh, i I would advise anybody to to go on youtube and go and watch all three fights they're all on there and they're in in really good sharp black and white color i mean black and white footage sorry and um you know, although it's not in color, you can. It's it's nice and sharp. It's not blurred in any way. They're beautifully done. And as again, I have to say that you know, it was it was obviously Patterson lost the first fight. Johansson comes back. Um, Patterson lost the first fight, comes back, wins the second, and then wins the third um, for two repeats in the end. I will repeat and then a and in a uh, um, a revenge. But um, excellent three fights. And I advise, as I say, advise anyone that hasn't seen it to go back and watch it.
2: Now, that was when we'd put in for the 60s, but obviously, you know, there was one significant fight that happened in the 60s that before actually recording the podcast sprung to mind completely. And it follows on from this period of time. And it's probably two of the most famous fights of the 1960s in the heavyweight division. And if you've not already guessed which fights I'm talking about by now, I'm talking about Cassius Clay versus Sonny Liston. And in the repeat match, Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston. So, obviously, we've got to talk about these two fights. It was something that when we were talking about Johnston, you know, I completely forgot. And I think it wasn't a case of forgetting. It was a case of that many different significant fights over the years that, that are, you know, rematches in particular, that sometimes, you know, you want to go for something that's a little bit more, more obscure, but we can't really go throughout the 60s without touching on these two particular fights. Because for me, these these heavyweight fights in the 60s, these two particular fights were probably the most significant fights in heavyweight boxing history of the 1960s and probably uh, significant in heavyweight boxing history of all time.
0: Oh, yeah, I, could, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, just before that, obviously, Patterson eventually, he, he, uh, he, he ended up sort of bowing to public pressure and having to take on Sonny Liston. And Sonny Liston beat him twice in the first round for a, the first time as a challenger. He came in and beat him. And then the repeat happened with Sonny Liston. And literally straight after that, we had the young Cassius Clay come through and and, and fight listed, and, and Clay was the underdog. He was the challenger, he was the underdog. People feared that he's going to get absolutely wiped out by Sonny because of what Sonny done to Patterson. So, you know, we've uh, we just didn't quite understand what they had with, with Cassius Clay at the time. I mean, even even just going back to Your Johansson has actually sparred with uh, uh, the young Cassius Clay when um, just before the second fight against Patterson. And, and he actually turned around and said that this guy's got some great potential, but he's going to struggle to sell tickets. <laughs> so, uh, he got that completely wrong. He got it right and then wrong. Um, but either way, uh, Sally Liston there, I mean, obviously, that was a great fight there, first fight. I thought, you know, that the one thing you say with Muhammad Ali and Sally Liston is it was a good fight. And then, obviously, Cassius Clay, it was, it was iconic, isn't it, with... Uh, i rule the world, and he was sort of, he, he was just brilliant that night. And, and obviously, he had the issue with the gloves as well, with Sonny Liston, and, and whether they were tainted purposely or not. And, um, you know, either way, Cassius sorted himself out, or Muhammad Ali sorted himself out, managed to get himself through, I believe it was, was it the fifth round, before eventually uh, getting rid of him in the sixth. But uh, two great fights between Ali and um, and Sonny Liston as well, and and, and a great era in the sixties, a great era for heavyweight boxing.
1: I don't have a mark on my face, yes. and I upset Sonny Listen, and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. Right. Now, I him. told the world I talk to God every day. If God's with me, came knows i me against me, Sonny. God. I took out the world. Uh, I know God. God. I know Cassius. the real God. Cassius, wait a minute, wait a minute, Cassius. Cassius. Let me ask you this now. You told me when you visited in Los Angeles you could do it in eight. Well, you thought Sonny and figured Sonny was great. How I come had, you did it in six or seven? I, 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 you did it in seven. I had him going in eight. I was getting ready to take him in the eighth as you
0: can see, but the man stopped it just to keep from making me look so great. Right. I say now, give us that poetry on number seven. He wanted to go to heaven, so I took him in seven. You
1: took him in seven. I am the king of the world! Hold it, hold it, I'm hold it. pretty! Hold it, you're not that pretty. I'm good. a bad man! Wait, wait, me. I shook up the world! I shook up
2: the world! Hold it. You certainly did. You had a great two fights between him. You had obviously Cassius Clay at the time beating Sonny Liston in round number six where he had a corner retirement and then in the rematch you had the infamous Phantom Punch. Now, we're not going to touch too much on that because if you do want to listen to a little bit more about that and the career of Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali, you can go and check out that on career profiles in the feed a search for career profiles you will find the Muhammad Ali episode and we do touch on that a little bit more on the significance of them two particular fights so that's the 1960s in particular where we picked up two significant ones that we wanted to touch on but we're going to move on now we're moving to the 70s as well and you know lo and behold who comes back it's mr muhammad ali in the 1970s because as we know he was so significant throughout the 60s and 70s they were the best times of his career now we are not gonna gloss over the fact that we've got another fantastic trilogy of fights now we're gonna go into of course muhammad ali versus smoking joe fraser
0: yeah, and uh, the fight, one fight that that hasn't come up on Legendary Nights yet. We've touched on it in the career profiles. We touched on it when we have done the thrill in Manila. But the first fight is an absolute stunner. It is the fight of the century for a reason. It is just, uh, it, everything about it is just is, is just brilliant. Um, You had, obviously, we had Muhammad Ali, the guy that was... Uh, that didn't go to the Vietnam War. That had to come back and fought sort of Oscar uh, Benavira, Benavir, sorry, and uh, I can't remember the other guy. It wasn't the top of my head. But then, obviously, Frazier being the champion, um, everybody wanted to see it. And it was, uh, he was, our league uh, was basically, he was the symbol of of those that were opposed to Vietnam War. And, and Frasier on the other hand was the guy, he was the symbol of pro-war movement. So it was, um, it, it was exhilarating, really. I mean, the whole thing was was a massive spectacle. And, you know, with it being the 70s and all the colour. And it, it's just a great fight. And there is, there is I don't know if it's still there now. I was trying to find it the other day. But there was a, literally a whole the whole fight, in terms of the build-up and the actual fight, and a little bit of the after, and um, it is just—it was fascinating watching. But um, obviously, we, the, the second fight was the one that was uh, when a little bit under the radar. But um, I mean, the first, both of them. Were, end of the day, the second fight is just as good as the first, and it's just the first and the third was so good that it just gets a little bit overshadowed, basically
2: yeah no it certainly does so in the first particular fight obviously you had joe fraser who was the defending champion at the time as you rightly pointed out and in this particular fight he picked up the victory via unanimous decision and obviously dropping muhammad ali in that particular fight with a, a massive left hook which basically signified what won him on points it was a fantastic fight great fight one that you know lived up to its billing and still will always live up to his billing the second fight we touched on before not so much uh As as significant in the trilogy, but still significant for boxing in that period of time. That was in 1974, and that was when Joe Frazier lost to Muhammad Ali. So that was revenge. So we had an instance of revenge here, where Muhammad Ali went in there and beat Joe Frazier in the second fight. And then obviously we had the infamous thriller in Manila, which we've touched on for the Legendary Night series. You can go and listen to a full build up breakdown and aftermath of that particular one but it would be a repeat in that particular fight as muhammad ali would go on to defend the title against smoking joe fraser and then we would obviously go on to to, to see what was a great end to, to that fantastic trilogy of the 1970s
0: yeah and, and i suppose I, I suppose the reason why that second fight was also sort of just went up went under the radar was the fact that it was a non-title fight as well where uh, obviously frazier had just been demolished by george foreman so uh you know it was it was a fight that with no titles on the line and the fact that it was only a 10 rounder as well i think i think people probably that's the reason why it was under the radar but i would advise anyone to go back and watch it because i think you'd actually be quite pleasantly surprised how good it was it just wasn't as good as the other two which was just magnificent so you know a great trilogy i mean we could talk we already have. We've spent many, many hours on this show. We don't want to spend too much on it. But, you know, again, anyone ain't seen all free? please. Jeez, where you been? Go and watch them.
2: definitely totally agree (laughs) with that so we move on then we move on to the 1980s of course and and obviously there was one that actually came up quite recently in one of our episodes and the career profile of michael spinks jinx we did cover the larry holmes fights now obviously you want to get you want to go and listen to the michael spinks jinx episodes because we go into a lot more detail in that particular one but for the purposes of this episode highlighting revenge and repeat We've got another one there in the 1980s where we had Michael Spinks, who essentially had, had gone in there and, and dominated the light heavyweight division, undefeated at light heavyweight, I must add, yet again. But he decided to move up to heavyweight to challenge the, the then champion, Larry Holmes, who was on just one fight away from equaling the record of Rocky Marciano. However, in this particular instance, in what was a toughly fought contest between the two, and some may say controversial, Michael Spinks actually got the decision to win the world title from Larry Holmes, making him a world heavyweight champion uh, and a two-weight world champion.
0: Yeah, um, Larry obviously died you know, in uh Michael Spinks and we've, we've touched on it. And, uh, and what what Spinks did in training, he decided to... To intense his training and his weight lifting and, and even Leonard, even Sugar Ray Leonard turned around and said that he didn't believe that it was going to be enough to beat Larry. And Larry just didn't perform on the night, really. He didn't really throw that right hand. And I don't think it's because Larry was underperforming. I think it was, you've got to give credit to Michael Spinks, who came up. He was the first ever light heavyweight champion to win a heavyweight world title. And then to then go and fight Larry in the rematch, literally straight after the result, this was an immediate rematch. And, and and Michael Spinks produced the goods again. I still believe Larry did win that fight. I did watch it recently, and I feel Larry might have just edged it. But, you know, I'm not going to say it was a robbery. It definitely wasn't that. Spinks, you know, I can understand why people would go Spinks. But another great, uh, basically a challenger winning the title, and then repeating that success uh, against Larry and and unfortunately for Lowry, he didn't quite get that fifty or that forty-nine. I know, but um, it was a, a great, another great fighter and, and great stuff. I mean, it just it just shows you just how good Michael Spinks was.
2: Yeah, it certainly does. And obviously, that was a, a significant part of the nineteen eighties. But I know there was one particular fighter from the nineteen eighties we've covered quite a lot. You know, in legendary nights and career profiles, is Iron Mike Tyson, of course. And I know there was one particular fight you you did want to bring up, which is you know, back end of the eighties, uh, bleeds into the rematch not being immediate, but it does take place in the mid nineties. So I thought we'd better touch on that particular one before we move on to to the. Actual fight we decided to pick for for the nineteen nineties, uh, and that was obviously when Mike Tyson fought Frank Bruno in nineteen eighty nine. Frank Bruno going over to America to challenge for the world heavyweight title yet again. In in what was a, a pretty good four five round fight, you know I remember watching that fight back quite recently and and listening to to the the BBC Sport special podcast that they did on this with an interview with Frank when he went over there and and fought Tyson, where seemingly Tyson was in his prime at this point and actually he really hurt Tyson at one particular point in this fight but going in there against you know the formidable Iron Mike Tyson, he did get stopped of course, history tells us that and we know that as boxing fans that Mike Tyson did go in there and stop him with some vicious shots and uppercuts but then the rematch would then take place in 1996
0: Yeah and then and Bruno once again I mean Tyson just had his, his, his stint in, in, in prison he had come out and, and reclaimed the title when Bruno got a shot um, or with Bruno, might have been the champion actually. Maybe I've got that wrong. Right. I think Bruno was the champion, yeah, he was, yeah. I, I I think he was, wasn't he? So um, yeah, Bruno being the champion, Dan in, and he defended it against Mike Tyson. Albeit, people were hoping that Tyson was going to be a bit washed up, be having his time in jail and whatever, whatever else. He was going through the time, but unfortunately, it wasn't to be. I mean, I, I, I can't say enough how much of a Bruno, big Bruno fan I was. I used mm. love Frank. Uh, and, and i used to just hope that one day he could uh maybe he might beat mike Tyson. even watch it today like you say you repeat you watched it recently i've I watched a couple of them and the uh, recently myself and i still think in hope that maybe brennan might just <laughs> shot. um never never gonna happen mike tyson just had his number and yes yeah, so that's it's definitely a fight worth mentioning and as i say, it wasn't immediate it was sort of seven years later but um, another well worth a uh, mention with it being a rematch
2: certainly so we do get into the 1990s and and the pick for the 1990s that we both agreed on uh, we couldn't really go anywhere different than the Riddick Bowen and Evander Holyfield trilogy throughout the 1990s now these were three fights that for, for in their own right were absolutely amazing now obviously Evander Holyfield had cleaned up in the cruiserweight division throughout the 1980s, undisputed cruiserweight champion, decides to move up in the very late 80s, gets his first shot at a heavyweight title after James Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. So he goes in there, he beats James Buster Douglas, he then becomes the world heavyweight champion, winning the WBC, WBA and IBF, defends it against George Foreman, Burt Cooper, Larry Holmes, and then... We get into 1992, where it takes place against great heavyweight 31 and 0 undefeated, Reddit Bow
0: Yeah, and I must say uh, these two did have three fights, but this first fight is an absolute belter. I mean, it was it was fight of the year, um, and rightly so by the ring. And he also get got round at a round of the year, which was a uh, round ten. Um, it was just an excellent fight. And again, if anyone hasn't seen it, I, I really do advise everyone. To go back and watch it because it is it is just a brutal fight and it's non-stop uh throughout and riddick bow undefeated at the time obviously coming in against holyfield who who was on a little rise as you say he cleaned up the division and, and he was looking he was the main man and and it was really, it was very close as well i mean all the fights were but it was uh it was a brilliant fight and, and one that i really do advise anyone to go and watch as i keep saying but it, excellent fight and, and Bo obviously come away with a victory against uh, Evander Holyfield um, and picked up the title. Uh, It was their first meeting, as I say, before they moved on to them fight again in the second meeting, which was in 1993.
2: So the 1993 was actually a revenge for Evander Holyfield because he went in there and picked the titles back up by beating Riddick Bowl via a majority decision in what was the infamous fan man fight Uh, the moment where (laughs) I know you're laughing straight away because the fan man is one of the most infamous moments in boxing and you know everybody who hears us say fan man automatically knows what we're talking about doesn't matter how old or how young you are you know exactly what we're talking about the guy coming in in a bleeding parachute in the middle of a fight the fight had to be stopped I think it was something ridiculous like 20 to 30 minutes before the fight actually resumed but at this point when you look look at the interviews and hear hear the stories from Ivan from de Holyfield, you know, he'd actually at this point both fighters by the time the fight resumed, they'd warmed down. So, you know, they'd basically cool down. So somehow they managed to get back and carry on the fight only for Evander Holyfield to pick up his revenge by beating Riddick Bowe via a majority decision. And then he would go on to actually lose the title in his next fight to Michael Mora. The third fight would then happen in 1995, the rubber match. So they had one victory over each other each. they would go into the third and final fight in 1995 only for Riddick Bow to pick up the TKO victory in what turned out to be some unfortunate circumstances. Because I believe this was the particular fight where Evander Holyfield came out afterwards. And I can't remember exactly what it was. Was he suffering with with hepatitis or a hole in the heart or something of that nature at that point? And that was what was an underwhelming performance from him.
0: That's right, yeah. um, It was, uh, if if I remember rightly, we... uh, did we do, was, it, was it did we didn't do a career profile I think we done a legendary night and we mentioned it didn't we with van der Hodefield with the Lennox Lewis fight and uh yeah i mean it he wasn't quite in in his uh most physical best i suppose if he, he, he wasn't quite fit enough i am guessing um, i mean he did come out afterwards sort of not straight after either which which tends to mean that there's uh, some truth in it and uh yeah so it was it again it was a good fight it wasn't As good as the first, I mean, the second is always going to be about the fan, man. But, you know, in in the sixth round, the left hook uh, to the chin put Bo down for the first time in his career. And in the eighth round, Holyfield was then dropped with a right hand. So they both got put down. And then eventually the fight was stopped. Uh, I believe it was in the eighth round as well where referee stopped the fight. And, um, yeah, it was the first time that Holyfield had ever been stopped as well. So, it was a good fight. It was just um, again, it was a non-title fight, and it, again, it goes under the radar a little bit. But the first fight is definitely the one for me. But definitely, uh, you know, we had uh, we had the ch- we had the champion, as in Holyfield losing his title and then gaining it back in a revenge mission, and then uh, obviously losing it in that in that third rubber match. But you know, two excellent fighters, and, and definitely again, another great trilogy that, that I'd advise anyone to go back and watch.
2: Or well, certainly staying on the theme of the 1990s, two other fights that happened, or four fights, including two uh, four different fighters, happened in the 1990s. Straight into that, we're staying on the subject of uh, Evander Holyfield because he actually competed in both of these different sets of fights. So in 1996, he would go in there and go and stop the formidable Mike Tyson to win the WBA heavyweight title in, in what was an absolute fantastic fight and 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 one not. Just just a fantastic fight, but and actually, it was quite a big upset at the time because Evander Holyfield was sort of seen as as the you know coming towards the end of his career as as, as the washed up fighter. And um, I know that's a bit harsh by saying it, but that's kind of the way the media were portraying him at the, portraying him at the time. He was thirty four going in against thirty year old Tyson, who obviously had picked up titles by beating Frank Bruno in. Earlier that year, and then he goes in and gets stopped by Evander Holyfield, uh, and it was a great fight. Eleven rounds of, of absolute sheer frustration for, for for Mike Tyson going in there, and Evander Holyfield showing that he was the modern day Cinderella man.
0: He really was, and it's a great fight. The first one, and and as you say, Holyfield was was the guy that was. So I think Tyson would have been the better favour of going into it. I mean, it was was a title vacant as well. I think they both went for it. It was a WBA vacant title, I believe, um, and so no one was a champion going into it. So it was it was going to be uh, it, 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 as you say. I think I even I remember it, and I think oh, I felt that Tyson was going to win the fight, and der Holyfield proved everybody wrong. Just with his sheer engine and his just determination, and, and Mike just couldn't. Just He just couldn't do anything about it, basically. He, you know, he, he couldn't get rid of him. I mean, if it had been sort of, sort of, I don't know, maybe six, seven years earlier, maybe it'd be a different story. That was a different animal and a different Mike Tyson. This one was an aging Tyson and had gone through a bit of wear and tear. And, and Evan Holyfield had as well. And as you say, he was the one that was, he wasn't, you nowhere near the favourite. But um, he produced a fantastic performance that night and deserved to, to win that title. And then obviously we went in for the repeat, um, for Evander Holyfield, and um, um, it was the famous bite fight. And um, well, what can you say, really? I mean, it's, it's an obvious one when you're doing revenge versus repeat. The obvious that always spring to mind is probably Holyfield Tyson, and and again, this wasn't one we picked out of our sort of five and picked up because it's just the obvious one. But again, you know, it is just it's dramatic watching, isn't it? It really is, and, and obviously Tyson decided. Yeah, Halfway through that fight, he got no chance of winning, so he'll have a nibble on his ear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he certainly did, and he caused one of the most infamous you know moments in boxing history and, and just as a side note to, to their rivalry you know mike tyson has got his own podcast at the moment called the hot boxing podcast and quite recently he's actually had evander, evander holyfield uh, in in the podcast with him and they've actually sat down and spoke about this so if anybody wants to listen to these two sitting down talking about this particular fight uh, and and going through this series of what happened of events then go and listen to it because it's you know it's great it's a really good listen so Moving on, we continue the trend of the 1990s and the trend of Evander Holyfield as he goes in there against Lennox Lewis in a back-to-back fight and match-up between the two. Now, obviously, we've covered this for Legendary Night, so if you're listening now and you've not already heard the tale of Lennox Lewis versus Evander Holyfield, then you can go and check it out because we've covered off both of the fights in that particular episode but Lennox Lewis would go and challenge Evander Holyfield for the WBC, WBA, IBF titles, uh, only to get what I would only describe as robbed. And people use that word very lightly in boxing. But this was a particular instance where a majority of people at ringside felt like Lennox Lewis won that fight, for it only to be scored a draw. And of course, there was demand for an immediate rematch. And this would be revenge for Lennox Lewis. It wouldn't be repeated. It would be revenge for Lennox Lewis as he did finally pick up all the world titles by beating him via a unanimous decision on 13th of November 1999.
1: Tonight, boxing crowns an undisputed heavyweight champion as after 12 rounds of action, we go to the scorecards with a unanimous decision. Here are the score totals. Judge at ringside Jerry Roth scores at 115 to 113. Judge Chuck Jampa scores at 116 to 112. Judge at ringside Bill Graham sees it 117 to 111. All three in favor of the winner and the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Lennox
0: and rightly so. I was really pleased when when Lewis did get that that victory against Holyfield. Uh, they both obviously held the title was was for the undisputed titles, and and for Lewis to have got that draw. I mean, we were, I know we've discussed it, and, and I do suggest to anyone to go and check out Legendary Nights. It is a good one, and um, and it was just one of the worst decisions I think I've ever seen in boxing. Um, and in the second fight, was a lot lot closer, uh, but yet Lewis won it quite convincingly. So three sets of different judges and, and, and we get a completely different result. It just shows, I mean, nothing's really changed since 1999 to 2019. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great, I mean, it's, it's a good couple of fights. I mean, they are good fights. I think the first one wasn't great. The second one was a bit better, but um, I was just pleased to see at the time and by being ecstatic that Lennox Lewis had been the first Brit to win the Undisputed title since sort of Bob Fitzsimmons uh, before they had t- so too many titles, that was. But, you know, Evander Holyfield did move on and he did fight Ruiz as well, John Ruiz in a couple of fights himself and uh he did actually win a vacant title, which was a legitimate WBA title, and then um he also then went on went on to lose that and then and then they they fought a third time him and John Ruiz for him to go into a draw. But then obviously moving on to two thousand and one, which was the same year was Lennox Lewis against Hassine Mapman.
2: Yes, of course, we've done the Legendary Knights for that as well. So if you've, again, not already heard the Legendary Knights tale of Lewis versus Rackman, go and check that out on the feed. We do give a more detailed build-up breakdown and aftermath for that particular one. But obviously, Lennox Lewis would get a shock defeat to Hassen Rackman in South Africa, only to then retain his title in emphatic fashion by stunningly knocking out Hassen Rackman later on that particular year. Well, I notice every time I try and reach around him with a hook, he sticks his arms out. And more time, he's watching out for the straight right hand. So I kind of turned it around on him and threw a, a, a roundhouse right hand. I, you know, I, I took I took some of the pressure to him. You know, gave him a, a lot of things to think about. Definitely wasn't gun shy. You know, plus I wanted to knock him out in the in the fourth round a little quicker than he knocked me out. So you know, in a sense, I got my up on him. You know, I showed a lot of disrespect there, and I just I just was uh, keeping all these things inside me. I said, okay, you're going to pay fight time. And you know, this is where he paid for it. Thank you very much. But now, now talk to us about your future. There are a number of fighters
0: out there who you could fight, whether it's a, a Tyson Bird, who is a, a, a number one ranked fighter. It could be your countryman, Kirk Johnson.
2: It could be Vladimir Klitschko. Where do you want to go? You know, I want Tyson. Definitely want Tyson, you know. every I've been waiting for him since after the Holyfield fight, but it doesn't really matter to me. I'll take whoever. And I think also, it's not one that we particularly picked out, but there was one that, you know, when again, when we were talking about revenge versus repeats, uh, I think that sprung to mind immediately for the 2000s era because we didn't actually pick one from the 2000s era as, as one to sort of focus on. But how can we forget about Marco Antonio Barrera versus Eric Morales and Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti?
0: Yeah, yeah, goodness me. I mean, what. I, mean, I can't even tell you how great those two fights are. I mean, the only other one there was, was Corelles and Castillo. There's probably, those three fights for me were were, were brilliant, would not they? I mean, uh, Gatti Ward is just outstanding. And, and yeah, Barrera, uh, Morelles, I, I can't even, if, if no one's ever seen any of these fights, I mean, I, again, where you've been, you must, you, you obviously, you, know, you, you must not watch your boxing because these are the go-to fights. And, and they basically showcase the era. I mean, the heavyweights at the time, following sort of Lennox Lewis's retirement, if you like, it, it was a little bit scarce. I mean, we had the Klitschko brothers dominating. I mean, I, I even looked through their records today, and there's not no real note in any of their fights. I mean, between apart from Vitali fighting sort of Lennox Lewis in his last ever fight, but there was no repeat there. There was no revenge. There was no there was no rematch. So um, you know, that, the go-to time that in this particular era was the lower weights and, and those guys produce some outstanding performances and and as i say the heavyweights have finally come back and hence why we are doing revenge versus repeat because it's entertaining because now we're in a situation where we keep, we've got another fight to add to this great list uh with anthony joshua and um, andy Ruiz jr
2: yeah obviously that is the focal point of this fight week podcast is to talk about the andy Ruiz jr and anthony joshua situation we will be doing a big fight preview following this particular episode but we did pick one more from 2010s of course now we're in 2019 we're nearly heading into a new decade as 2020 but this is the particular british fight that we wanted to pick out from this particular area and it's quite recent as well of course and and we've picked it out because it was it was quite a prominent fight in the UK so we picked out Tony Bellew and David Hay going at it uh, in a series of two bouts between each other which came about all through the fact that Tony Bellew had obviously finally got to the top of the mountain got his, his big night at Goodison Park and he wanted this fight with David Hay who was a former undisputed unified cruiserweight champion who'd moved up at heavyweight division, won a world heavyweight title, but in the biggest fight in his heavyweight campaign, lost to Vladimir Klitschko. So Tony Bellew and David Hay, there was no <laughs> love lost between these two guys. <laughs> uh, I certainly remember when Tony Bellew made the first defense of his WBC title, beating BJ Flores, who was a very good friend of David Haye's, and the moment where he's screaming at David Hay over the ropes, who was doing punditry at the time, uh, straight away, the public demand for this particular fight in the UK in particular was there because these were two guys that, you know, just really had sort of this bad blood between one another for, 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 for no particular reason. It just seemed to be, you know, David Hay was always has been and always will be uh, a gobshite and obviously Tony Bellew uh, outspoken himself and you know he just he wanted this big opportunity to to get a big name on his record of course and, and and cement his legacy in boxing and what way to do it by going in there and, and trying to beat uh, a former World Heavyweight Champion, a former Unified Undisputed Cruiserweight Champion in David Hay. So, obviously, this particular fight was signed, uh, and straight away in the press conference, David Hay threw uh, a nice little cheeky right hook as they were pushing and shoving, and it just created the controversy that everybody wanted to see this fight happen.
0: It, it, it did make it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, when it first happened, and I've seen Bellew screaming over the ropes at, uh, David Hay, I thought it was just you know it's, it's just him acting up and just being it just just the adrenaline was in his in his system and he just reacted because he weren't too keen on David Hay and uh, but then in the end it, the fight was side. I was surprised. It was an interesting you know when I I think I first see it, it popped up on Instagram, and I was like, no way! I cannot believe that this fight's happening and and, and I'll be honest with you, I gave Tony Belly absolutely no chance. I felt that David Hay still had something left in the tank and and he was going to wipe. Tell you out in fact so emphatically so that i was a bit worried for his his health and uh and many were and, and david played into that and he used uh all sorts of uh podcasts and radio media and anyone else that could ever want to listen to david hay i mean if anyone wants to listen to him be my guest because i'm definitely not one of them but you know unfortunately we had to put up with his bullshit and um and he did say some really just stupid things in terms of that he's going to is he gonna send him home in a coffin or he's gonna kill him and you know, it was just it's just stuff we don't wanna be hearing in boxing. Uh but that was David Hay, um and that he did. And unfortunately that was how he had to sell the fight because he was he was basically washed up and and Tody Bellew, although it was a tight fight, I I I believe I had uh David Hay up, um and I was uh sort of before the Achilles went, but um You know, he did go. He did fight on, Um, and I did. I was surprised that he did fight on because that isn't the kind of thing you expect. The David A. after him moaning about his toe when he got done by Klitschko, which disappointed. I'm sure every British boxing fan in the world, anyone who ever watched that fight, was just so pissed off. So it was surprising to see David David A. continue Um, in the end. Tony Belli got the win, and in the 11th round, and and it was it was a great fight. I mean. To be honest with you, I I have to say, I mean, I I really did ridicule this fight. I really, I weren't keen on it and I did sort of, I made some pop shots at it and I I just weren't keen on it at all. I just thought it was all a bit WWE for me, but it didn't disappoint. It was thoroughly entertaining and and one of my fights of the year and, and as I say, you know, Bell, you've got to win and and it did look like going into that rematch that maybe Hay still might have something left. Again, I think Hay went in favourite that night and. And this time, Tony Bellew, my goodness me, was he outstanding that night. And that's one of the best nights, I think, Tony has produced in his career against David in that second meeting. And he, he got rid of him in five. Yeah, not quite sure about David Hayes' right leg and what's wrong with it. It looks like maybe a partial tear on that right leg again. Maybe the cru- maybe the um, Achilles tendon as before. It's not hanging like no. it did last time. It's, it's, it's certainly bothering him, but nowhere near like before. So he has yeah. to be careful. And you see on those jabs, he's got to push off the back foot. It's hard yeah. to do that. Oh! Shot for Tony Bennett,
1: and that was a really heavy fall from Hay in the fifth round. Down for the third time in the fight and the legs are very bendy. He wants to go on. He says, come on. David Hay showing immense bravery. He's here. got a hold. He's got a hold right now. I don't think Hay should be brave. I think he's just holding. Belly shows and his big start. True to his word, he does it quicker.
2: It certainly did, and I think at this point, you know, we knew David Hay was way past his best, and I think the first fight showed us that between these two, and it was just everybody had this sort of 50-50 sort of chance of both of them. I think I think it was probably more sort of 70-30. I think a lot of people did favour Hay originally in the first fight. I mean, I didn't, I'll be honest, I always had Bell U winning this, uh, and I just felt like he was too overconfident, David Hay, he was too cocky and arrogant in the build-up, sat on his yacht and, and boxing on his yacht with Shane McGuigan, and I just thought no, he isn't winning this. His heart isn't in it. He's here for the money, and and eventually he showed me some absolute heart of heart of, heart of steel, man, and absolute balls in that fight. To, to to rupture his Achilles earlier on in the fight and to continue to the eleventh round was just unbelievable. And I think. If he would have shown that sort of desire in the Klitschko fight with a broken little toe, I think more people would have had more respect for him other than what he did at the end of that particular one. But in the rematch, of course, Tony Bellew, he looked at his absolute best, dispatching of David Hay within five rounds. Brilliant fight, great heavyweight. And that's probably the last best British heavyweight showdown we've had. And, you know, we have now come to where we are now, which is 2019, which is... Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, who would have thought that, you know, a guy who was a fringe world contender would come in at short notice against seemingly what people thought was one of the best on the planet who had three belts to his name, only for him to go in there and do an absolute number on Anthony Joshua to to win the world heavyweight titles. And it wasn't just that. When you looked at the shape and the size of Andy Ruiz, you just thought to yourself, this guy is just a... Another fat pudding. He's going to get knocked out, and and, you know that's it. And Joshua will move on. And for what we've seen, you know, unbelievable. What can Joshua do?
1: Oh, a for the fourth time wow. and the out More. and Anthony Joshua oh, could be counted oh, out here he just about gets to his feet he's going to do well to get through Everybody. this round out he's badly hurt here Joshua to his legs have score. gone a minute 45 to go oh, and we are witnessing one of the biggest shots in modern heavyweight what, history. What, what is the referee doing oh, he's right, right.
2: Now we're getting another revenge versus repeat scenario. Will Anthony Joshua be able to exact his revenge or, or is it going to be a case of repeat with Randy Ruiz? Who knows? We're going to discuss that in our big fight preview. But just going back to you, Johnston, we're coming towards the end of the episode and I know you've brought a, 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 an absolute abundance of statistical information to, to give to the listeners. So fire away. Let the listeners know about your revenge versus repeat statistics you've got.
0: Yes, I mean, uh, first I just want to say that you know it would have been nice if uh, with Kalitsko, for instance, I mean, I was looking back on his resume and there were two fights in particular that I would have loved to see rematch with, with rematches with and that was obviously Tyson Fury fight I think that would have definitely made this list if Fury didn't sort of go into the abyss with what happened with him and then obviously Anthony Joshua was a brilliant fight, their first fight, and that looked like Joshua was going to take it and then obviously Kalitsko decided to retire, but he was one guy, him and his brother, you know, Vitaly, if that rematch had to happen, he wanted the rematch with Lewis, so I think they're two very poignant fighters, sort of after the, sort of moving into the noughties, and into the 2010s, and they dominated for 10 years, and, and And I think the trouble is, is that they didn't have the significant fight, so that's why these guys are getting the run of the show, and these guys are getting the mention, I mean, even Bellu Hay, believe it or not, is getting the mention, over, the, over someone like Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko, which is, which is a bit mind-boggling, but it is, it's the case, isn't it? It was, it was entertaining. So, I mean, I did what I did was I'd run through, literally, I've literally gone as far back as 1889. Um, and I went as far back as Bob Fitzsimmons when he fought James J. Jeffries. And, and Bob Fitzsimmons was the champion and he ended up losing that fight. And then it was a repeat fight, although not immediate. So, what I tried to do was just try to pick out some statistics, really. So, um in terms of revenge versus repeats, so I picked out sort of 58 fights from some of the ones we've just gone through. Uh, so world title fights only, so you had 17, uh, out of the 58 I picked, so 17 fights were repeat and 10 were revenge. So 63% was, was repeat. And you basically get the general statistics that, that repeat tends to be on the card. So you know, your world title fights for immediate rematches, you had nine repeats, only five revenges. And in world title fights with immediate rematches, but with no trilogies or no quartets, was uh, seven repeats of five revenge, which is the fifty-eight percent to forty-two percent to revenge. So, uh, but, the, but the two repeats included three. The, the third fights between Patterson and Johansson uh, and Arlie Frazier. So, to be fair, what, what it what it did show me was that with world title fights with immediate rematches, where the champion reigned or the cha- or the challenger retained. So in terms of looking at AJ and looking at Ruiz, so you had three guys in particular that were champions that were able to retain their titles, and they were Floyd Patterson, Muhammad Ali, and Lennox Lewis. And then we had four guys that were challengers, that fought champions, that managed to retain their title, and they were Rocky Marciano, Sonny Liston, Muhammad Ali, and Michael Spinks. So I suppose what, what, I'm, what I did discover is that, you know, that if Ruiz goes and does and repeats what he did against Anthony Joshua in the first fight, he's going to be alongside the likes of Rocky Marciano, Sonny Liston, Hamid Ali and Michael Spinks. and that just shows you how great of an achievement that would be for him, and with uh, Anthony Joshua he would be alongside Floyd Patterson, Hamid Ali and Lennox Lewis, if he's able to take an immediate rematch and regain his titles, and uh, it just makes it interesting really, because, you know we don't know sort Of how good Ruiz is, or whether we've 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 made Anthony Joshua sort of better fighter than he is, maybe we've bought into the bullshit. I don't believe we are. I believe that Anthony Joshua will retain his crowd. but he looks in great shape, and I think he he's got the potential to do it. It, it just it just makes it very fascinating in terms of how it's going to pan out. Yeah, I mean, as I say, these are just 58 fights I've pulled out of the hat. I mean, there are several others. I mean, Jesus, you look at the Jack Johnson era and how many fights he had with Gennett and Sam Langford that were non-title fights, and there were several revenges and repeats. So in terms of the statistic level, I suppose these are just the 58 big fights we've picked out. It is interesting reading, and I think if I'm going to compare it with anything, I would compare Anthony Joshua and Ruiz with uh, Johansson and Floyd Patterson. Johansson being the first Swede. Ruiz being the first Mexican to ever win world titles. And they were both clear underdogs going into that fight. And what Patterson did was he he revenged that defeat. And I think Anthony Joshua will do the same. So that was all, you know, literally I was busy doing these little statistics this afternoon on my lunch break it was quite a good fun and it doesn't really tell me much apart from that it it really could go either way yeah
2: not like sitting on not like sitting on the fence for something like this but of course it was a real great insight into some of the most notable heavyweight fights that have happened in history world titles and non-titles being involved revenge versus repeat the general consensus is repeat seems to trump over revenge, but in some world title instances, in immediate rematches, like you say, you've got you know the revenge happening. You've got notable ones happening. Patterson. Johansson, you've got Hassing, Rackman, Lennox, Lewis, there, you know, there are two off the top of my head straight away I can think of. So there is some notable fights over the course of boxing history, and, and you know, it's been really good to sit down and, and just give a, a whistle stop tour of, of quite a few of them and be able to give people an understanding of actually there's a lot more of these type of fights out there that that, are, that have happened over the course of boxing history to compare it to, and I, I'm pretty sure Johnson's just giving you. Uh, what you need to consider if you're thinking about putting a bet on on the Saturday night's (laughs) fights because certainly it's going to be a a fantastic night in Saudi Arabia could we see revenge could we see repeat who knows it's going to be amazing but thank you for everybody as always for for listening we hope you've enjoyed this little tour of revenge versus repeat over the course of the past 50-60 years if you have please let us know your thoughts on this particular episode Episode and let us know if there's any particular fights that we've missed off that you might want to bring to our attention by tweeting us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter or leaving a comment on the Facebook page. BTR Boxing Podcast is the place to find us on there. And if you've not already subscribed, to the podcast, then go and check us out. We're on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, Stitcher Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify, any good available podcasting app. You can subscribe to us. You can let us know your thoughts. You can give us a rating. Five stars would be amazing. We'd really love you forever for that. So please get on there and do it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This was Revenge versus Repeat. Ah!
0: And no, I no, no, no. kick your ass. It's over.
1: Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Sports Social Podcast Network